Good morning. So I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but uh, I wonder how many of us have ever made fitness goals of some sort and then uh, didn't see progress in the timeline that we had hoped or ever and eventually get discouraged and just give up. Uh, well, back when I was younger, people, some people used to, to help them stay motivated, have some sort of inspirational poster that like some people, not me of course, but some people of like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something posing that they would hang on their wall and this would be something that they would look to for inspiration and then to think, okay, I'm going to come over here on my own and do the work by myself and then never quite measure up to that standard and get discouraged and give up. So you, you see where I'm going with this that maybe some of you do. Let me just tell you where I'm going with this. Sometimes we make Jesus into simply an inspirational poster that he is an example for us to follow and no more. That we look at him and think, that's who I'm supposed to measure up to, and then we come over to the spiritual gym and we rep it out. And we try super hard to measure up to the standard of Jesus. And we don't see the gains. And we get discouraged. And what if, what if Jesus is infinitely better than an inspirational poster? What if there is actual power in the person of Christ? And what if there's hope for us who want to see spiritual gains? <laughs> In the person of Christ. Y'all turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me just recap. Uh, he's been talking about false teachers and antichrist and then talking to believers and encouraging them in the anointing they've received and what they know to be true. And if you remember in verse 1 of chapter 3, he said, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. So how great is that love? How great, how awesome is that love? Well, He calls us children. And not just calls us, but we also are children. Which reminds me of Genesis 1, where when God calls something, when God speaks something, it just is. And so He calls you, child, and you are and that is an incredible love. And then we are therefore known by God. And sometimes we feel discouraged because it feels like we're not known by the world. We feel rejected, misunderstood by the world. And God says, well, you're in good company. The world rejected me first and misunderstood me first. So don't worry about that if you're rejected by the world. You are known by God. You are a child of God. And so it comes back to that in verse 2 and will reiterate the good news for those of us who are in Him. And so I'm going to be teaching on verse 2. <clears throat> and forgive me, I couldn't get my slide up, but I have a simple outline. I'm going to divide this verse up into four short phrases. 
And that first phrase, beloved, we are God's children now, I call that the known present. The present that we know, the known present. Beloved, we are God's children now. And then the next phrase, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That is the unknown future. The third phrase, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That is the known future. And then because we shall see him as he is. That's the catalyst, the change that creates the change from our present to our future. Known present, unknown future, known future, and the catalyst. And let me just read that verse one more time in its entirety. And then we'll pray and then we'll look at it one piece at a time. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Lord God, will you please just move by your spirit through your word to really, man, let us please not just play church this morning. Let us just really have open hearts to truly hear from you and expect real transformation as we sit under your word and submit to it and just reckon it as true and believe it. Will you please strip away any distractions, any fears, any resistance to you that right now we would all just have hearts that are soft, good soil to receive every little thing you want to say and whisper to us deeply implanted in us. Please, Lord, speak to us. Change us for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, let's take this one piece at a time. First of all, the known present. Beloved, we are God's children now. And so it starts with this, phrase, this word, beloved, which is agape toy, which we, comes from agape. This is the covenant faithful love of a father. And so here John is talking to, he's speaking as a brother to brothers and sisters, as a son who is deeply and dearly loved, to other brothers and sisters, and he calls them dearly loved, reiterating this familial connection. And he says, dearly loved now. In the Greek, the second word is now. It's up front, emphasizing that it is now. It is not a hopeful, it's not, sorry, it's not a future. It is a right now Reality. And what is their present right now reality that they are? And we are children of God. 
And I love that it says now, not after you earn your way in. And some of you have screwed up again this week in you know what. Between you and the Lord, again. And you might be believing the lie, I've got to be good for a few days or for a few weeks for me to be back in child status. And it says, what does it say? Now. Now. Children of God. And that verb, underline the word we are. Because that verb is esmen. That's a present active indicative, which just means it is now, and it is ongoing. This is your enduring present state that we are. That verb is to be or to exist. So your current state of being, your current mode of existing right now is child of God. That is who we are. And just think about this for a minute. Why Is he starting to sound a little bit repetitive at this point? Why does he need to affirm our status as children of God unless they're doubting it? Unless we are doubting it? Unless there is data to the contrary in our hearts, in our behavior, in our minds in our thoughts there's a dissonance between the truth of the word of god and our experience that causes us to doubt so he reiterates the truth and some of you need this. Some of you right now are doubting your status before a holy God. And I get to tell you good news that God's Word is infinitely more trustworthy than your own feelings and your own thoughts. Your perception of the world around you and even your perception of yourself cannot be trusted. But I've been unfaithful. Okay, listen to Romans 3.3. 3. What then? If some were unfaithful, their faithfulness will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Absolutely not. Let God be found true and every man a liar. Every man, including you, when you are disagreeing with the Word of God and believing lies about yourself and who you are because of something that you did. We need to develop a new modus operandi, a new default Reflex, like Peter had. Not that he always had it, but in his good moments. Like whenever he was 
fishing and he'd been out there all night catching nothing. And Jesus told him, throw your net out on the other side. And Peter had a pile of data and experience and a lifetime of an experienced fisherman and the data of how many hours he was there and he's thinking, Lord, (laughs) there's no fish in the water. But I love what he said. He had the pile of data saying one thing and he had the Word of God saying something different. And he said, I've been fishing all night. But at your Word, I will. And he threw the net out in direct opposition to all of his logic and all of his experience. In faith, he threw it out and brought in this huge catch. We've got to develop that reflex of trusting the Word of God over the sometimes piles of data in our experience and in our mind that go against His Word. We've got to Doubt our doubts and trust His Word. And not the other way around. When my sons were younger, they used to be afraid of the dark. And sometimes we'd hear them crying or sometimes they'd come out crying. And we'd go in there and tuck them in and pray with them and... Tell them they're, you know, they're I see the shadows. There's stuff. They're seeing shadows. They're hearing noises. We're going, there's nothing in your room to be afraid of. Don't worry. And then we have them repeat. We, we would say, okay, repeat after me. Psalm 118.6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And one of my sons said, what if it's not a man? <laughs> All right. Well, Okay. And my wife, in her God-given wisdom, would tell them, look, repeat after me. There is nothing to be afraid of in this room. And my son would say, I can't say that because that's a lie. (laughs) And she pressed in and she insisted and said, no, that is a lie. You are believing a lie and you're going to say the truth until you believe it. She made him repeat, there is nothing to be afraid of in this room. And man, that's good advice for us, isn't it? That we just keep repeating the truth to ourselves until we believe it. And let it dethrone the lies that we give too much credence to. The feelings and thoughts that we have that are so convincing. And we think, because I have this thought, and it's so convincing that it must be real, it must be true. When it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Now, the second phrase here, we move from the known present to the unknown future. Because we said, beloved, we are God's children now. That is the truth that we know. And now I want you to underline the words we are and underline the words we will. Because there is an implied contrast set up between these two phrases. The present that we know and the future that we do not yet know. 
Do you see that contrast? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. And literally, this second phrase says, and not yet is it revealed what we will be. And you may be thinking, I thought it said appeared. Why did he say revealed? Well, I agree with the net Bible translation that uses the word revealed here instead of appear because in the Greek, this verb, is a passive verb. And so you guys know the difference between an active and a passive verb? If I say, I hit John, that's an active verb. I'm doing the action. But if, it, if I say, I was hit by John, that's a passive verb. The action is being done to me. And here the appearing or the revealing in the Greek is a passive verb. Appear to me sounds like an active verb of this, this truth of who we will be presents itself. I prefer the passive verb of revealed because it emphasizes the fact that there is a revealer. Do you see what I mean? That there is someone in charge of when things are revealed to us and when they are not. The Lord God decides when things are revealed to us and when they are not. When people are revealed to us and when they are not. And notice the word yet. Not yet revealed, which means there is a day when it will be revealed. And He decides. And this is very freeing to submit to. To realize that He is the one in control of revealing what He wants to, when He wants to. Because that means that just because you don't see it now doesn't mean it's not true. It means God has a perfect plan of when to reveal and when not to. And now look at our next phrase. And we move... Well, okay, sorry, we're not moving yet. From the, I call this the unknown future, and you may be saying, okay, yeah, but don't we know some things about our future? Yes, we do know some things about our future. Like Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, listen to our future, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We do know that, that we will, our bodies will be like His glorious body. So let's think about this for a minute. What was His glorious body like? What do we know about the glorified body of Jesus, which means after His resurrection? Well, we know He can walk through walls, yes. So was He ghosty? Well, he also ate. 
So he was substantial and also walked through walls. I don't know how that works. And he also had scars. Do you remember he told Thomas, put your fingers in my wounds? When we are like his glorious body, what will that be like? Will we float through walls? I do think we have scriptural evidence we will eat. Thank you, Lord. I don't think there's calories with that either. And will we have scars? I don't know, man. But how cool to think maybe we will as testimonies of His grace and His rescue and what He saved us from. For that we get to tell those stories and give Him glory for all of eternity. I don't know. I don't know exactly what being like Him means. It's like if you ask me, will I be like my dad? Well, yeah, I think so. I don't know exactly what that means or what all parts. And I'm not sure I want all parts. Like the, I don't know if I want the proportion of head to ears. That, so his friends have described his head as a car with both doors swung wide open. Or his, or his hairline before he shaved it. His grandkids, one of his grandkids lovingly pointed out that from the front it looked like an N and from the back it looked like a U. But there are some things that I want of my father. I, he's always been a hard worker. He's always sacrificially served my mom. He's always had a straightforward black and white belief in the truths of God. I want to be like him. And now to be completely like him, I'm only saying that to point out to be like the glorified body of Jesus. I don't know exactly how much we will be like Him. I know that like isn't going to be exact equation. Don't think two parallel lines of equal. Think the squiggly similar to. We will be like Him, but we're not going to become God precisely. We're not going to become Him. I'm just trying to point out there is a little bit of tension that he, he has revealed to us that we will be like Him, but we don't know precisely our, how we will essentially exist. We know we will be like Him. And we know that it will be different than our present state. Do you see that contrast before that first phrase where it says, we are, that's what has been revealed, and we will be, that has not yet been revealed. So we know what we are now, and what we will be, we don't know yet. It implies that there is a difference between what we are now and what we will be. So let me just ask you a question. If we know what we're like and we don't know what we will be, would you guess that what we will be is going to be better or worse? (laughs) 
You guys know enough of Scripture to know it's going to be a lot better. And what are we now? Children of God. And it's only going to go up from here. That is awesome news. How could it get better than children of God? Well, what if someday all the dissonance is removed of the piles of data of our behavior and lies we believe that contradict the Word of God? What if those are all... What if all of, all of those finally give way to the truth? And there's no more contention. There's no more dissonance. It's just truth. What power could possibly achieve such a thing? Well, let's look at our third phrase here which says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now, it starts with with the word but. That actually is not, most likely not in the original text. Some of your Bibles might have a little note there that that contrast word but is not in the earliest, most trustworthy manuscripts, but you can see how later scribes might put that in there to follow the flow of thought. Because there is an implied contrast in the flow of thought. The, the first contrast between the first two phrases was from present to future. And now the contrast between the second and third phrase is from unknown to known. Our unknown future and then what we do know about our future is what's coming in this third phrase. It lit... It, It says in your ESV, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. But literally in the Greek, it says, we know, where's my, sorry, I lost my place here. We know, okay, that's what I was going to tell you, that this word for know is what Dan shared, that there's two different words for know in the Greek. There's gnosko, which is like a relational experiential knowing, and then there's a oida, which is more of a factual, though we've got to be careful, there's a lot of overlap. This is oida, which is there, is, there are facts that we know. And this verb is a perfect verb. And a perfect verb is something that is unshakably anchored in the past with very real and present and ongoing ramifications. So here he says there is something that we know unshakably that has very real ramifications on our present moving forward. And what is this thing that we know? We know 
that when he appears, we shall be like him. And again, this word appears is the same word that was appeared up in the previous phrase, which means it's that same verb, phane rothe, which is an aorist passive, which again, we have this passive verb, so I'm going to translate it as revealed. We know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him. And y'all just heard me switch from appear to reveal, and you heard me switch from he to it. So let me tell you what I'm doing here. The Greek gets a little bit tricky because there's no pronoun in the Greek. It doesn't say he or it. There's an ending on that verb that can be translated he, she, or it. So we got to go by context. So verse 28 does use the same verb and say he appears. So a lot of people prefer that. But the more immediate context would line up with the previous phrase that says it has not yet been revealed. So I prefer, but we know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him. All right. Now, I'm sorry for that. The difference is small. Because either way, it's either saying, when Jesus appears, we will be like him. Or it's saying, when it is revealed what we will be, we will be like him. The end result is the same. Because the point is, Jesus will return. And when he is revealed, what we will be will also be revealed because it will no longer be what we will be, it will be what we are. I'm just going to move on, okay? He's going to be, he's going to show up. So then there's no more, what are we going to be? It's revealed when he shows up. So now, when he shows up, there's no more wondering. It's going to be crystal clear what we are. And what, what is the answer to what we are? Look here. What will our new existence be? We will be like him. Not might be, we will be like him. And what does that mean exactly? I don't know, but I want it. I want to be just like Jesus. I don't know exactly what I'll be like, but I will be like him. And that's enough. And I talked to some of you about this, and I know that some of you, the way you struggle, I know how bad you want this. I know how bad you want the full manifestation of the righteousness of Jesus in your life right now. And you're tired of screwing up, and you're tired of doubting, and you're tired of wrestling, and you just want to be completely like Jesus right now. And I get to encourage you with these words. 
that this is your inevitable future. So let me, let me just ask you, do you believe that he will return? Do you believe that he will appear, that he will be revealed? How much fervor and certainty do you believe that with? And if you don't believe that with a lot of certainty or fervor, I would just beg you, keep reading your Bible and just keep believing it. And however much fervor and certainty you believe that with, apply that to believing you will be like Him because that's the clear reading of the text. When He appears, you will be like Him. His Word is truth. His Word is worthy of your trust, no matter the pile of contrary data in your heart, in your thoughts. And you say, but I know me. What could possibly finally bring this outer man into conformity with the inner man? What could possibly make that happen? Look at your last phrase here. This is the catalyst. And some of you know from science experiments... You're putting all different kind of stuff in the beaker. Nothing's happening. Then you do the catalyst, and then usually it's instant. Like something happens, a color change or something. The catalyst is that thing that instantaneously makes the change occur. When it comes to you becoming more like Jesus, what is the catalyst? And it starts with the word because. Because is usually answering the question why or explaining. And if you're asking the question, how can this happen? How is this possible? It's possible because we shall see him as he is. Or we shall see him just as he is. We will see him just as he is. No more dim mirror. No more thinly stretched veil between the natural and the supernatural, the physical and the spiritual, the temporal and the eternal, the oh so convincing data and the real, between the lie and the truth. It'll all be gone. And there will be no more need for faith because we will finally see. You guys realize that our faith is temporary. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And there will be a day... When we walk by sight and not by faith. When we're face to face with Jesus. And this 
is the beginning of an eternity looking at Jesus with no filter. That's what changes us instantly. Seeing him face to face as he truly is. How is this possible? Well, apparently his holiness is all-consuming and cannot be contained. Apparently there's an inherent, aggressive, overwhelming, overtaking, transforming nature to the unmitigated presence of the Holy One of God. Meaning you can't be in His unveiled presence and not be completely changed to become like Him. Think about Moses going up the mountain in the cloud, came back, what? He got a little on him, didn't he? He came back glowing. You can't be in His presence and not be changed. Am I out of battery? I am. I'll use this for a minute. Thank you. All right, what did I say? You can't see him as he is and not be completely changed. Much like the woman touching Jesus' robe. And do you remember what happened? Power went out of him. That's what I think of. Like, almost, uh, Jesus almost unaware of the power going out of him. That when you look at him, thank you. Sorry for the interruption. No, thank you. Okay, then. Am I there? All right, I'll start over. Just kidding. (laughs) You can't look at Jesus for who He truly is without being changed. And it's either inherent and automatic... Or perhaps it's something a little bit more volitional that He chooses to when we see Him with no veil, when we see Him face to face, that in that millisecond that we first see Him, that He must transform us into something brand new and eternal. Otherwise, it would roast us. Right? Do you remember how many filters He put between Him and humans throughout the Scriptures? Whether it was a thick veil or a cloud of smoke or like Moses and Elijah had a similar experience of Him going past them and saying, I'll show you my back. I'm not going to look right at you because you can't take it. I'll talk to you, Moses, but through a burning bush. It's not going to be face to face. Because He's too holy. But when we see Him face to face, we will be ultimately and finally and completely holy. Here's what I'm saying. If you are wondering if you will ever be like Jesus, 
Your only hope is to see Jesus face to face. He's the catalyst. It is going to happen. You will see Jesus and you will be changed. This is your rock solid hope, not trying harder. I feel like Yoda. There is no try. There is a little different. There is only die or holy. I mean, that's... And if you're in Christ, when you see Him face to face, you're made finally, completely righteous and holy. Who He is is just too awesome to not transform you when you look at Him. And at that point, when He's revealed, it's not going to be gradual anymore. It's in an instant. This is why I say it's so much better than an inspirational poster. You don't look at Jesus and then go try harder. You look at Jesus and you stay there. And you gaze and you stare and you look deeper. And as you look upon Jesus, you are transformed to His holiness. And you say, okay, when He returns, that may feel like a long time to wait. But you don't have to wait till then. There is a way for this future reality to start crashing into the present right now. But I better let Dan do that next week. In the meantime, can we just believe this? That He will return and we will be completely like Him. Let's just start reading the Scripture and seeing Jesus and believing everything we see. And see if it doesn't start crashing into your present. I want to close by reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all can turn there. I'm not going to say much about it. I want to just kind of read it devotionally and ask you to kind of hear it devotionally. Let this be just a, a time between you and the Lord to hear this and believe this. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body? With what kind of body do they come? And then he goes on to describe seed and plant and compare your dead physical body to a seed that goes in the ground and then out of the ground comes something new and different. Glorious life. And he explains that this change is going to be drastic. It has to be. It must be. Look in verse 50. 
I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And I have to say there that word twinkling, it literally means a rapid movement of the eye. When that eye first catches a glimpse of unveiled Jesus at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lord Jesus, Help us just believe. Help us just submit to the truth. And thank you for the encouragement that it's not in vain to obey you, to follow you, to hope in you. And Lord, will you help us when we feel discouraged? by the lies that we believe? Will you just break through the lies that we're hearing and let us see them as what they are? Sad attempts from the enemy to subvert your kingdom. And let us see your truth as supremely more real. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for calling us and making us your children. And thank you for the fact that you are not done with us yet. And there is a day when we will be completely like Him. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.